The opinions expressed on this program represent the viewpoints of individual authors or contributors and do not necessarily reflect those of Troy University. This is eConversations, a joint production of Troy Trojan Vision and the Manuel H. Johnson Center for Political Economy. Now, here's your host, Dr. Dan Sutter. Hello and welcome to eConversations. I'm your host, Dr. Dan Sutter of the Johnson Center for Political Economy at Troy University. In 2017, the Atlanta Braves moved into their brand new stadium, SunTrust Park in suburban Cobb County, now known as Truist Park. The stadium cost almost $700 million, with about half of this coming from, uh, in funding coming from Cobb County. The construction of this stadium, along with dozens of other pro sports stadiums and arenas, came with promises that the new stadium would generate lots of economic growth and the economic activity would generate millions of dollars of tax revenue for the county. Do sports teams and stadiums create, eco create economic booms and economic growth? Economists have been studying these questions for decades. Joining me on the show today is an economist who has contributed many studies to this literature. Dr. Dennis Coates is a professor of economics at the University of Maryland at Baltimore County. Dr. Coates earned his PhD in economics from the University of Maryland and previously taught at the University of North Carolina. He has published more than 60 academic papers, many of them investigating the economic impacts of sports. And he's offered numerous op-eds and policy studies on subsidies for sports stadiums. Welcome to eConversations, Dennis. Thanks, Dan, happy to be here. I mentioned uh, the, the case of uh, SunTrust Park, well, initially SunTrust Park in Atlanta, and it's not obviously the only case uh, of uh, where governments have given subsidies for uh, the construction of stadiums. Tell us a little bit, uh, what, what's the, the magnitude uh, of this uh, industry, or what's the, the magnitude, how many uh, stadiums are we talking about, and what kind of dollar amounts uh, are, are involved? Okay, well, um you really have to think about what the time frame is, and I'm going to say let's consider the last 50 years. In the last 50 years, if you count um, baseball and football stadiums and arenas for hockey and basketball, in the U.S. and in Canada, there's about 133 mm. that have been just constructed and opened during that time period, and that uh, the U.S. side is in the neighborhood of um, $35 billion worth of uh, public mon monies or in the ballpark of $265, $270 million um, per facility. Okay, so this is a pretty uh, good sum of, uh, and that's just the tax dollars, not the overall cost of all these stadiums. That's just the, the, the public money that's gone. Yeah, that's just the public share, yeah. And an important thing that I, I didn't mention there is that um, over that 50-year period, one thing that's happened is that the the useful life, uh, the useful life, putting scare quotes around that, has shortened. So, mm -hmm. um, if you think about old stadiums like Fenway Park and and um, Tiger Stadium in, in Detroit and Wrigley Field in Chicago, those have been around for a hundred years or more. Mm -hmm. Whereas now the stadiums are being replaced on a cycle of about 20 or 25 years. And so since we had a big boom on stadium construction starting in the early 90s, 
we're about on pace for a new boom to start. And as, as you may be aware, the Buffalo Bills have gotten over a billion dollars. The Tennessee Titans have gotten over a billion dollars. The Washington Commanders are looking for new subsidies. So we're probably entering that, that boom in stadium construction again. Yeah, that's uh, the, the, the shortening life is uh, distressing. And, but not all stadiums uh, are built with a lot of public dollars. I mean, SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles that recently opened uh, for the, the Rams and the Chargers was built almost exclusively with, with private funds, right? Yeah, that's right. And so that's a great example of why um, people would, should argue, should believe that there is no reason why teams need public money. Mm -hmm. It can be constructed privately. The, on the other hand, the argument that it was um, largely privately funded is also a little bit misleading because there's a lot of infrastructure spending related yeah. to highways and you know on-ramps and off-ramps and transportation, other kinds of transportation issues, um, sewer and water and things like that that have to be upgraded or um, refurbished in some way, or even put in completely new for many of these stadiums. And SoFi is no, not an exception to that. So we certainly see you know, teams make a lot of money. You know, they have, rev they have uh, payrolls in the, often in the hundreds of millions of dollars. I, I think I saw something, the NFL it, it is uh, over $10 billion in revenue every year. So teams are generating a lot of revenue. And, and anybody who's a sports fan and goes to the stadium you know, knows that people spend a lot of money at, at the stadium. So there is a lot of economic activity that's uh, associated with sports. So our viewers might think, well, of course, there's got to be some kind of economic boom when it, it comes to sports, right? Yeah, I, that, that argument always I find a little bit humorous. And, and one of the snarky ways I respond to it is, so you say that the people in the stadium bought food and they bought drinks and they bought shirts. So the counterfactual is that the people didn't eat, drink, or wear clothes except for the team being there, mm -hmm. which of course is ludicrous. And it, but it points out that there's a great deal of substitution in the spending, that the consumer has money that they're gonna spend on entertainment and it could be spending it in a restaurant or it could be spending it on $10 hot dogs at the football stadium. Mm -hmm. Either way, they're still spending that money in the local community. So there's not really that big boost that proponents of stadium subsidies um, typically argue in favor of. So, and that's referred to as diversion of, of spending from other a activities, right? And so. Diversion of spending or substitution, yeah. And, and, and exactly. so it actually becomes then a. a an important question, an open question to say, you know, does a new team, or does a, or when a uh, team moves to a city or, or they get an expansion team or they build a new stadium, is there a measurable economic, is there a measurable boost to economic activity? And there, we have reasons to think, you know, maybe there could be and then maybe also there, there might not be. And, and so this becomes what economists would, would call an empirical question, right? 
<laughs> Absolutely. And I've been spending um, since the mid-1990s studying this empirical question. And, and so, you know, we have, again, economists like to formulate hypotheses. Well, that, that's what we do a lot of science. You formulate a hypothesis, and then you're trying to test it. So if, if we want to test, like, do uh, sports teams or stadiums uh, help create economic growth, well, now we have to start thinking about, well, how are we going to measure the, this economic growth pro, uh, or, or prosperity? And then how are we going to go about actually testing this? And as I mentioned, uh, you, you author, co-authored, with, along with a, a couple of other economists, uh, a recent review of the literature uh, on addressing these questions. And so tell, us, uh, tell our listeners a little bit about when we talk about economic studies, and then, then what we were talking about here today is this literature review. Uh, what's the difference? Well, a literature review is really what it sounds like. So there's a lot of papers in, in this review. We talk about uh, and discuss about 130 different papers that have examined the question of an impact of sports, predominantly um, major league professional sports, but not exclusively major league professional sports, on the economy of local communities. And part of your question was, well, how do we measure that impact? What, what is the outcome that we're measuring? And different studies have different measures. For example, the first study that I did, um, we used two different variables. Um, one was the level of personal income per capita in the metropolitan area. So basically, how much income does the average person in this city have? And then we also looked alternatively at the growth rate in that income. And we did that for a very simple reason. If you listened to stadium proponents, they sometimes said that building a stadium will make everybody richer, or they said it will make the economy grow faster. And so we wanted to see, do people actually become richer on average? Mm -hmm. So that's like, just jump the average up a little bit and then it stays up. Or does the rate at which we get richer increase? So that was the approach that we wanted to take. And so we had this average income variable and its growth rate for um, every city that had either an NFL, an NBA, or a Major League Baseball franchise between about 1969 and at that time, 1996. And when I say every team, I mean some city, or excuse me, every city, some cities lost teams. Mm -hmm. So they were in our data. And what we looked for was, did something happen when they lost a team? other cities gained teams. And so we looked for, did something happen when they gained a team? Mm -hmm. So you could have a, a city with a team that builds a new stadium. So we would look and see, did this new stadium have an impact? But we could also have a city that didn't have a team, attracted a team and built a stadium. So we were looking at all of these different factors over this long period of time. Um, so roughly 30 years and 
what we found was that there was no impact on growth, which as an economist, that was very, very comforting, right? Because when we think about economic growth, what we think should matter is the skill level of the labor force and the amount of machinery and equipment and so on that people have available to them. If we could make the economy grow faster by building a stadium, then we should build a lot of stadiums, right? Because it's like free to have your growth rate go up. So it was comforting to see that that had no impact. Um, what we found, which was really quite startling to us, was that if you took all of our sports variables combined, the overall impact was on average negative. Mm -hmm. That the average income in a place that had this full array of sporting impacts was actually lower than it was elsewhere. Everybody else had basically said, um, there's either no effect or it's very, very slightly positive, but not big enough to make any difference. And so when we found that it was negative, that was actually um, quite a different result from everybody. And so we had to spend a bunch of time explaining why that would be. And one of the reasons was precisely the substitution story that we talked about earlier. But another reason for it, we and the one that I personally believe, is that um, when you spend money in a stadium, that money goes predominantly to a very wealthy owner and very wealthy players. And th there's two things about wealthy people that are uh, players and owners in this context that are important as a contrast to everybody else. That is that being very wealthy and particularly players having a short career, they have to save a lot of their money. They don't mm -hmm. spend it. The other thing is players don't typically live where they play. So they come into town for the season, but the rest of the time they have their property in Florida or Southern California or wherever. Whereas if that money was spent in general, um, sort of uh, businesses in the location, movie theaters, grocery stores, whatever, the people who are getting it predominantly live there year round and they're relatively low income. So they spend a high proportion of it. Consequence of these two things is that a dollar spent in the stadium has a lower multiplier effect than a dollar spent any place else, mm. meaning it doesn't spread out and generate wealth to other people nearly as much as money spent um, in more traditional businesses. Now, you, you mentioned that your, your study was looking at uh, like metropolitan areas, and, and that brings out an important point to know is that, when, you know, for instance, in 2017, when the Atlanta Braves moved to their new stadium, well, they were already playing in Atlanta. and, and, and both uh, Turner Field and, and SunTrust Park were both in the Atlanta metropolitan area. So at one level, when you look at something like that, it would almost be hard to imagine how that could be a boost for the metropolitan area as a whole, right? Absolutely. And that was one of the, that's precisely one of the arguments that we made was just having a new stadium in the same city can't possibly have much of an impact. It, it, because it's exactly the substitution story that we talked about before, except even more so because you're you're not even spending it in a different business. You're spending it on the same business. Mm -hmm. Now, 
Another, the, the literature, as you mentioned, like, you know, many studies were looking at metropolitan areas and found little or no impact, but actually metropolitan areas can be quite large. Anyone who's been to Atlanta knows that's a very large area, um, you know, probably as large as some European countries almost. Uh, and, and so it's, you know, metropolitan areas can be quite large. And so maybe you know, the one possibility would be say like, okay, you're not finding any effects at, at the metro area. Maybe there are still some effects, but it's, it's too small or it may be affecting a part of the metropolitan area, whereas like, you're, you're just looking at things way too, way too large of a scale. So that could be another way to, to, to maybe want to further investigate this question, right? Absolutely, and there's a great deal of research that among that 130 papers that do precisely that sort of uh, analysis. Um, typically, the outcome variable is different, so it may be, um, rather than some sort of income measure, it might be new business creation or mm -hmm. employment, and then it would be looking, or property values, looking around a new facility, whether it's replacing an old facility elsewhere in the city or um, for a new team, doesn't really matter in this context. The question is, if we put this stadium or this arena in uh, this location, then can we see businesses develop in that neighborhood? So if we were to cut it up by census blocks or um, voting precincts or some other small measure, do we see businesses form there um, at a greater rate than they would have formed anyplace else in the city? And, Do we see more employment and that sort of thing? And, and this could be important to, to the extent that if you're trying to think of, you know, maybe a, a new stadium is helping to revitalize a, a, a depressed area of a, of a community, then, you know, again, uh, then the appropriate way to measure, try to measure that or see if that's working is at a much smaller geographical area than, like, say, the entire metropolitan area. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, it is very clear that there are strong indications that within a narrow area, um, some, some activity is greater. For example, property values tend to be higher um, close in to a, a new stadium. They drop off rather quickly, so mm -hmm. within two miles, you don't see any more increase. The idea there is that um, if it is desirable to be in this neighborhood, then there will be a demand for those properties and that'll bid up their prices. And it could be that people find it uh, an amenity to live close to a stadium, whether it's because they like the, the crowd noise or the ease of access for themselves, or it could be that um, they're gonna rent out their front yard as a parking space and it's gonna generate income for them. So whatever it might be, it does seem that there's very um, slight, but some increase in property values close by, it deteriorates quite quickly. On the other hand, the stories of employment and new business startups are much less um, encouraging in mm -hmm. that sense, that you don't see really a huge amount of new businesses. You don't see a huge amount of new employment in the neighborhood. And oftentimes that's, uh, you know, partially because um, a lot that goes on in the neighborhood in the past now has moved inside the stadium. Right. So if you put restaurants in the stadium, 
you're going to have less need for restaurants in the neighborhood. Right. And so you might actually see less employment in the neighborhood as those exterior restaurants go out of business because they're competing with the in-stadium locations. But uh, overall, the, the uh, although there are some localized uh, effects, in, in total they, and, and again, as you said, it's probably not surprising we should expect to see something close enough to the stadium, you should, you, we ought to see something. But the, overall, that they're, they're still pretty modest. It's not like we're finding huge, as you mentioned, with employment. We're not seeing lots of growth spilling over from the uh, stadium to like an entire uh, area of the city. Yeah, absolutely. That's true that there may be modest effects, but um, that's the best that one can say. And so the natural question is, are these modest effects sufficient to, sufficient to justify the public subsidies of, on average, what did I say, $270 million per facility. That's, you know, there's a little bit of a value judgment in there, but that's spending a lot of money per job. Yeah, yeah. I know there are, you know, we've talked about to this point pretty narrowly thought about economic benefits and benefits that would be very closely tied to a stadium or, or the team, but there could be some other benefits to a community, benefits to society from, from sports that maybe some of these measures aren't capturing. And one of which could be just the value of, of you know, sports fans. And Atlanta won the World Series last fall. And, that, you know, I'm not originally from here in, in Alabama, but I know, know a lot of, lot of lifelong Braves fans, and they were extremely happy. And in 2016, when the Cubs won the World Series, after more than 100 years, uh, you know, um, I mean, Cubs fans were overjoyed. And so at some level, they say, well, what about that value? What about that value? And how could we capture this? Especially, you know, when you're thinking about a team like the Green Bay Packers playing in this really small community, you know, the, the, you, you've got all these lo very loyal Packer fans. So when you start to think about the, the value that is involved, that, the value, that fans are getting, um, that could be one thing, and then you know, there, there could also be uh, effects that uh, there could be what economists call externality or spillover effects. Um, that that could uh, you know it could be one thing that you certainly hear business leaders talk about a lot of times is that it's a lot easier if you're running a business and you're trying to recruit uh, employees to come work at your business, move to your city from someplace else in the country. It's a lot easier if you're a major league city, if, if people have uh, sports teams to, to go for, uh, uh, follow, because you know, if they are a Cubs fan, well, they can at least go see the Cubs when they play you know, in, in Houston. You know? and, and so it's not every year or everything, but they do at least get to see their favorite team come and play if, if you're a major league city. So what do you think, are these like valid benefits uh, possibly from sports or sports uh, stadiums and, and how might we go about trying to measure them? Okay, well, yeah, they absolutely are valid benefits. They, they are also incredibly difficult to measure in any precise way. Nonetheless, people have tried using a method known as contingent valuation. And it usually, takes the form of asking people, um, giving them a counterfactual. So if this team were to leave or was threatening to leave and the mayor or the governor said 
we can get this team to stay if we provide them with a subsidy of X. And each individual would be asked to contribute some dollar amount. Mm -hmm. Now, different people get different dollar amounts for the proposed amount. And so that's how you get to this question. And then people say, yes, I'd be willing to pay that or no, I wouldn't be willing to pay that. Um, and then once you've got that information for a large number of individuals, along with things like their family income and their education and all the sorts of things that we as economists would think drive or influence demand, then you can get an estimate of the demand. When people do that, they typically come up with values um, in the $70 million range. And you might say, well, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. It means that when asked the question, if the, the Pittsburgh Penguins um, were considering leaving and, and you were willing to pay some amount of money, how much would that amount of money add up to? The answer is $70 million. Mm -hmm. Well, if the new arena is $266 million, clearly what you're saying is that the total value to this, us as a community is nowhere near what that public subsidy amount will be. And by and large, um, I picked the number 70 million because that's ballpark of kind of the average. There's an outlier that's 400 million. Everything else is much smaller than that. Um, so we have a dollar value okay. of those benefits, but it doesn't cover the subsidy that this stadium would require. And, and it's, you know, that's why it's really important to not just talk about uh, the, these possible benefits, but uh, economists uh, then want to go ahead and, and quantify it because it, it, uh, all of our decisions in life involve costs and benefits. And you can't simply say, oh, there's some benefit. We don't know how much it is, but you know, here's the, here's the 300 million or $500 million cost. You need to get a good sense of what that, uh, that, that benefit happens to be, right? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, just, Maybe as a humorous aside, when when people raise this idea of the world-class city, mm -hmm. I ask them, um, well, what teams do you have? Oh, we have a baseball team, but we would really be a world-class city if we had an NFL team. So are you saying that you're not a world-class city because you only have a baseball team? What if you had a baseball team and an NFL team what would be the argument for getting an NBA team? So how many teams does it take to be world-class? And as an economist, what's the marginal world-classness of adding a team? Mm -hmm. And, you know, people don't think like that, but I think it's a really important question that you have to bear in mind. The last thing I'll say about this is, this is a little bit different from stadiums, hosting the, the Olympics or the World Cup oh, this is great for our tourism, we're going to be on television and all of that. And I say, well, what would be the cost of a 30-second ad that you put on national television in some other country to encourage tourism? I bet it's a lot smaller than the cost of hosting the World Cup. Mm -hmm. And it probably has the same kind of effect. Yeah. Um well, we have a little bit of time left, but I want to so sort of in summary here. You know, um, would you think that 
if any city wanted to, uh, would, would sports be a good way to try to, to grow a, a city, grow a city's economy, uh, to help elevate its profile and, and make it, like you say, a, a world-class city or, or a more prosperous city, which I guess is what we care about more than uh, notoriety? Yeah, I don't think it would be a good way. I, and the, the best example is Indianapolis. Indianapolis did specifically that. And Mark Rosentrop studied Indianapolis and compared it to other similar cities in the Midwest and basically concluded it didn't evolve any differently than any of the other Midwest cities that didn't follow this specific sports-led development regime. So it's not a, not a good approach. Not a successful approach. Although I mean, they they did eventually uh, they they did succeed in attracting the Indianapolis Colts, and, and like I, I used to live in Oklahoma when the the city leaders in Oklahoma City were desperate, just desperate to try to attract uh, a, a team, and they they again they they finally succeeded, but they spent a lot of tax dollars on the way. Well, thanks very much for coming on and talk about this important topic with us, and thank you all for joining us. Join us again next time on another Econversations. This has been eConversations, a joint production of Troy Trojan Vision and the Manuel H. Johnson Center for Political Economy at Troy University. 